there is this just awful decision that you have to make at the end of these pregnancies for me, whether I was going to have a child that could possibly be a very high needs or need a lot of surgeries and be very disabled physical anomalies, or I would spare this human life from pain and misery. And that was, it was the most difficult decision I will ever make in my life ever. And I still have to be okay with it today. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, my name is Andrea Wright, and I am a musician, singer-songwriter, and I have had three unsuccessful pregnancies, two of them I terminated and one of them was a miscarriage. I first was pregnant for the first time in my life when I was 34, 35 in 2014. And there were complications. No one in my family has had any kind of genetic issues that I know of. I had a CVS, all the screenings, but in the 11th week, they have a screening um, of a nuchal fold reading and mine was above, it was probably around six or seven and anything that is above five millimeters is considered alarming. And they call it a cystic hygroma, which is basically a water filled tumor that's in the back of the neck. It's It's a reading in the back of the neck and it's a screening, but the screening means Basically, it's like the baby, the fetus raising its hand saying something is really wrong. And 50% of the time in a nuchal fold reading, there is a genetic issue. If it's not genetic, then oftentimes it has to do with the heart, 30% chance, 50% chance genetics, 30% chance the heart. And then there's a 20% chance of it being nothing at all. So Andrea, just to clarify for um, women listening, we're talking about the early screening tests that are screening mostly for trisomy 21, Down syndrome, and trisomy 18. Correct. And it happens, the nuchal fold reading happens in a screening around 11 weeks. It's one of the earliest screenings that you can get. There was so much uncertainty and there is this just awful decision that you have to make at the end of these pregnancies for me, whether I was going to have a child that could possibly be a very high needs or need a lot of surgeries and be very disabled physical anomalies, or I would spare this human life from pain and misery. And that was, it was the most difficult decision I will ever make in my life, ever. And I still have to be okay with it today. 
When did you have to make that decision? Um, so when the nuchal fold reading comes back, they, the, the process in the hospital and the medical field is that, well, this is alarming and let's gather more information. And the next process is to do the genetic stuff. And then you wait around for another three or four weeks because the microarray can, microarray can take up to four weeks. So I think you wait around saying, does my baby have, tri like you said, trisomy 21 downs or something severe? And when it comes back, the test for me, they both came back normal. And so while you say, okay, is it full steam ahead? And they say, well, or not. And I think that I had to, we, my partner and I had to assess how much we were comfortable with that uncertainty and whether we were okay with having a child with what degree of abnormalities. But if they couldn't find anything, of course, this was for me a wanted pregnancy. I really wanted a child. And I thought, okay, let's just keep going. The problem is, is that the next thing that they have to look for in the nuchal fold reading is the heart. And so if it's not anything genetic or they can't find anything on the microwave, they look at the heart. And um, you, the issue is that you have to wait until 20 weeks until you can get a fetal echocardiogram. And that's a long time to wait to understand if there's something wrong with your child. And when I did in my first pregnancy, there was, I went to NYU and the echocardiologist said that there, you know, there's a aortic stenosis and there was, there was problems with the heart. They don't know how much the heart in a baby and a fetus that size is like, you know, smaller than a quarter. I mean, it's just like a, a nickel. It's so tiny. Not only do they not know how much is wrong with the heart, but there might also be the possibility of repair, post-birth surgeries, things like that. Yeah. One of the real emotional issues I had with it was that these high-risk patients that they see all day long it usually doesn't end well. And their attitude towards this is, oh, I've seen it, something's really wrong. And it's not going to end well, probably. And then they don't have a diagnosis for me. They don't really know what's going on. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much just, I get another test and it's not really any helpful information that can help me make a decision. In the first pregnancy, I terminated at 22 weeks, right at the legal limit in New York State. And then I was pregnant again. I got pregnant again this past year during the pandemic in 2020. And although the doctor said it was a 1% to 2% chance that this situation from my first pregnancy could happen again, it actually happened again. And so I... It was... The scenario was a little different, but I ended up terminating that pregnancy at 21 weeks. For what, for the same purpose, Andrea? What, for what reason? The, this, this last child, which we named Luca, was um, HLHS, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which is where the left ventricle doesn't develop at all. And then he had a whole slew of other issues. He had missing vertebrae. He had his left kidney in his pelvis. He was missing a left lung. I mean, it was just, even if, you know, when we went to the echo, uh, uh, the cardiologist, he said right off the bat, he said the success rate for 
HLHS now is incredibly successful, but you have to have three surgeries, one right when they are born, another, I think, after two years and another at five years. And I don't think that our child would have lived through the first heart surgery with all the other issues. I mean, he and if he had to have spinal surgery, his heart couldn't take it. I mean, there was just, he was in a bad way. Andrea, can you talk for a second about the difference between Bruno, who was the first baby who you terminated at 22 weeks, and um, Luca, who you terminated at 20 weeks, the difference between those two um, experiences as far as the termination? This is big for me because the first pregnancy, I was like a deer in the headlights. I had never heard of another woman having issues like this. I didn't, I was reading all of these case studies. I was a mess. And my partner and I were not really on the same page. He, he had some religious Catholic b- beliefs or, and he wasn't, he didn't really want to terminate. I was more, you know, risk averse and thought okay, I, when it was presented to me to terminate, there was this fear that actually they couldn't get me in. It was at 22 weeks before the, the, they couldn't schedule me for surgery before the law states that you can no longer get a surgery because it was right at, at the end of the second trimester. So they got me in for surgery for a DNE. Can we? Do, I, I, this is just unbelievable when I think about this. This has never quite occurred to me in this way. You couldn't have terminated sooner because you couldn't have had the information that you needed exactly. until you did the anatomy scan. Exactly. And then you had this tiny little window to decide what to do in literally a life or death situation before the law intervened and disallowed you from even doing anything. Exactly. This is where it gets crazy because... In my first pregnancy, I had a DNE. They scheduled it. And I, the night before, I was on the phone with my friend Hannah and I looked up on Google what a DNE was. It's the most painful thing ever. It's absolutely disgusting. I absolutely freaked out when I saw this. And I said, I don't think I can go through this. I had to be coached to go through the surgery. The second time this happened to me with Luca, this past just this happened March 17th. I said, what are my other options? They didn't tell me this. They they say they do, but they discourage it. And the other option is an induction termination. So you go into the hospital and you actually have the baby. The issue why they don't, I had an MFM fellow at Bellevue tell me, you're going to get a lot of pushback for this. And I don't know if we're going to be able to work this out to get an induction termination. And I said, well, this is my choice. Why were you going to get pushback? Because it's a political issue. If it's late enough between 22, 24 weeks, the baby is viable. And so what happens is, is that they suggest to go in through a procedure to give a vitamin K potassium shot to the baby's heart to kill the baby before you induce and give labor. Because what happens is, is that if you have decided to terminate this pregnancy and you give birth and the baby's breathing and seems okay, the risk is that somebody in the hospital is going to whisk the baby away to the neonatal you know, unit, NICU. Without your consent? Without my consent. Against your plan and your wishes against my plan and wishes. Yes. So, and why would you have preferred that option? Because it would have been more gentler for the baby in the first place. 
So going, yes, going into this second pregnancy, I didn't want, I didn't really want to get the, the, but if it's before 21 weeks, they don't have to, the baby is really not viable outside the womb. So I didn't actually have to have the shot of the, the, you know, to, to stop the baby's, the fetal heart. And so I was, I mean, I was just so, I wanted to see the baby. I wanted to hold him and I did. And I have to tell you, every, everyone, yeah, I read an article early on that in Europe and other areas of the world, the induction termination is much more widely used. In America, I have a theory that women and people in general just don't want to feel their pain. They don't want, they can't handle it. They don't want to. And that's perfectly okay. I'm not, I, I, you know, I have, I have my own views about on, on medical, pharmaceutical, you know, things like that. But I think that as a culture, we are conditioned to say, oh, you don't, you don't want to have pain. You don't need to feel the pain and we can just put you under and make this whole thing disappear. I woke up from the Bruno surgery and I thought, where's my baby? Where, where is he? He's just gone. And then I walked around with emptiness for years, for two years. It took me two years to get, to just get on top of that. When I just, I gave birth to Luca this March 17th and I went into the hospital with a close friend, Emily, who is um, a midwife and she was there. I gave birth. I, he was alive. I put him on my chest. I held him. He was alive. We got to spend four hours with him. And that to me was processing in the moment, saying goodbye, having a ceremony for him, telling him that I loved him, telling him that I wanted him and that I was doing this for him because this life was not suited for him, his body. And, I, you know, for me to be able to see him, hold him and let him go. And then I held him for four hours and I had to walk out of that hospital, put him down. They gave me a memory box and I had to walk out of the hospital. And I walked out of the hospital and, you know, somebody's holding balloons saying it's a boy. And it's just, it's a part of me now, that grief, that emptiness. It's a part of me, but I do have to say that the healing in the, what, the process of actually going through that and giving birth and holding him and seeing him was incredible to me. And I, I would never choose another way to go through this process. And and not only that, but I feel like I, this process, I was grieving again for Bruno all over again. You know, it was just, and the doctor said, this wouldn't happen again. It's this rare thing. We can't find anything. And it happened again. So the first time with Bruno, you didn't do the injection method. You didn't get to experience seeing him or holding him. No. It was a late stage abortion. And with Luca, you experienced birthing him. Yes. You vaginally birthing him? Yes, vaginal birthing. Vaginally birthing him, holding him, knowing knowing that parts of his heart never were even there. His organs were all out of place and he was He looked so normal. He was perfect. He was perfect on the outside. He was perfect on the outside. He was so beautiful. And how many weeks? 
He was, I think I was 21 weeks. How, how small was he? He was, he could fit right in my chest. He was, I think he was, I can't remember. I think he was like a pound in something. So what happened in your second healing process? I mean, you had to, I'm imagining his birth. I mean, it was a very odd blessing because you got to, you know, it's like you were robbed of the whole experience with Bruno in a way. Yes, yes absolutely. And you, like this forced you slash allowed you to, I mean, what happened? What resurfaced for Bruno all those years later when you were going through this with Luca? Like, what was that like for you emotionally? And what, what did you do next? First of all, I thought that it, to me, Bruno was a real, it was a borderline case. I could have gone through with it and he could have had maybe lived, maybe had heart surgery, maybe not have had any other issues and I could have had him. So that was always in my mind. And one of, and I wrote a song about the decision to let him go and to, and to terminate the pregnancy. And it was the hardest. I mean, you know, you ask a thousand people, because you don't know if you're making the right decision. And the best advice I got is, Andrea, you got to go home and sit on your meditation pillow and you have to check in with yourself and you have to be okay with this because you're the only one that has to be okay with this decision for the rest of your life. So you better make it in a way that you don't feel influenced by anybody else. That was a real takeaway for me. When I was pregnant with Luca this past year, I thought, well, this is my second chance. I thought this optimism, I was going to put out this song that I felt was very personal because I had this second chance in life and I felt optimistic. And then it just started tumbling downhill again with all these same diagnoses and issues and complications. And I said, how do I approach this differently where I can get relief. By this time, it was different because I had acquired a meditational practice since Bruno. Because of my grieving in the two years after that, I was a wreck. And I had to, had to put in place like coping mechanisms and practices and all sorts of things to just move on with my life. And so the second time around this happened, it was different. And I decided to just go through with the induction termination and, and have the child. And it was, I'm so happy I did it. Every expecting parent deserves access to a certified doula, no matter their budget, birth plan, or location. This is the idea behind the digital doula program, Beautiful Births and Beyond. Their on-demand doula program includes access to online classes and 24-7 birthing and postpartum support via text or video. Book a free consultation with Beautiful Births founder Colleen Myatt and receive 20% off an hour of digital doula support. Visit beautifulbirthsandbeyond.com and use promo code down to birth. If you're suffering from insomnia or pregnancy pains like restless legs, leg cramps, or have lower back pain, then you have to try 8 Sheep Organic Sleepy Lotion. It's helped over 73,000 pregnant moms get a good night's sleep. We're not even pregnant, and we love the Sleepy Lotion. Visit 8sheep.com, that's the number 8, sheep.com, and you can try the lotion risk-free with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code down to birth to get free shipping. You know, I am fiercely pro-choice. This experience made me understand how people could be 
pro-life in the sense that they that life is so precious and so special and I I understand that and there is a I mean opening up just now like this I know some people will listen to my story and think you know that there's shame there is odd shame because of cultural and other people's religious beliefs I had I had a woman shame me after Bruno and said how could you do this that you know this you should have your god gave you this and this is what you are given and you should you decided to end the life early and you know that wasn't your right or whatever if i can stop someone suffering in this world that's on me and i get to make that choice and that is it, with luca it was a much easier decision because he had so many issues so many issues that i my conscience was much more at ease I, I, I sat on my meditation pillow. My my partner and I were very on board with this decision, and I felt very supported. I was going through it a second time around on the on the on the course on the the second lap. I felt like, and so I sort of knew the ins and outs of the medical. I really had to be fiercely my own advocate, just like always. You know, I go in there with like armor on. I'm like ready to fight in hospitals because I got to look out for myself because who else will? That's how I feel. Having been through this twice and knowing, you know, that these prenatal screening tests are not perfect. You don't always have the answers. Yeah. How would you counsel women in your, in a similar situation? I know personally as a midwife, how I have counseled women and it's always been challenging um, as a home birth midwife, many of the clients that I've served have opted to not have these screening tests. Yes. Yes. And so that makes counseling easier yeah. <laughs> because you don't know. I understand that. I come from a very academic family that puts a lot of emphasis on science and on medical research and on just the medical field in general. So, and I come from like a family where we prize knowledge and think, well, however much information we can have is good. But in this situation, it is not always good. And I completely understand why you would either decide to choose to just not know anything and say, I'm committed to having this baby and we're going to have whatever we have, or you're going to go down this testing more traditional path of running every test because the there's never any diagnosis per se there's just screenings and we think and they, they give you these numbers like 50 50 or 65 you know for, there's no, your odds your, your odds they give you your odds and, and it's not helpful in making a decision at right. all there's so much uncertainty i would think that oh these are my tests and this is what it says. And now I can help make a decision. And it's not really how that goes. On top of that, I feel like if you had a diagnosis of a cancer or something like that, a doctor would say, oncologist would say, well, this is, this is our plan. This is what we can do. And this is what I would do. And they would suggest. And, but in the MFM world and in they, because of the religious, cultural, ethical situation that this is and it's a it they are so afraid to suggest or to say anything 
that would tip your decision any which way, that they step out of that and all they offer is more tests. But more tests don't necessarily help. They can, but it just, it doesn't help. It can gather some more information, but it doesn't help. It didn't help me make a decision. And some of those tests, even if they are more definitive, come with significant risk. Yes, sometimes they do. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, You know, there's an amazing blood test, the maternity genome, the 21, that tests for the trisomies and things. And this time around, I didn't even get a CVS with Luca because I was so committed to, to having the baby, you know, and it wasn't until the very last minute. Uh, at at 20 some weeks that we were finding all of these things that really tipped the scale for me in in terms of finally deciding to terminate. But yeah, there's that. There's the uncertainty of it all. That's what I want women to know. There's so much uncertainty and finding people to speak to. When you go on Google, not a good idea. (laughs) Not a good idea. I mean, you find so much information, it doesn't always pertain to your case. And then you're going to bed up all night worried. Does does he have this? Is it this? And it's just this mystery. And after it all, I've had cardiologists and the most expert MFMs on my team say, this is a fluke. We can't find, they did a biopsy. That's another advantage of having the induction termination. They can take actual, they can do a real biopsy because they have the fetus. Was Luca a gift to his brother, Bruno, in some way? Yeah. It gave me some peace of mind because with Bruno, I never knew if I made the right decision or not. And I think going through this process again and having the chance to live it all over again, I think I think I was able to forgive myself in a way and just to acknowledge that these are, um, you know, someone told me this amazing story about how in some this, some religious belief that there is this in this in the karmic ring that there is these souls that only need to pop into the world for a minute in order to finish their karmic circle and that that they're done so that you're serving a purpose by allowing the soul to come into the world for a moment and finish their their work and, I, you know, certain things like that, I just, you know, I, I think is very interesting and, and kind of. And it, it gives you some sense of relief. Yeah, there's so much unknown. There's so much unknown in this world. And, I'll, and I, you know, I tried to walk into these, the, especially this last pregnancy with as much, you know, of, you know, open eyes as possible and just to be present and to. I loved being pregnant every minute of it. I just felt it was magical. And I I don't know if I'll have a child or not. And but I am grateful for the experience that these two babies have had in my life and the the impact and the influence and in how they've shaped my life and I'm grateful for that. I think it's made me a more sympathetic person for sure. And to understand, not to judge other people in their decisions, which is amazing. You know, I mean, whatever feels authentic to your journey, that's what I learned. You know, that's what we do. You know, even if that soul just comes to touch a life, 
the ripple effect is just massive. Yes. It's just, it's still rippling. It's just, you know, now you just produced a song that we want you to play in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but you just never know how that one little touch changes the world. Right. So it's it, even if it de- like, you know, beyond what it does for that soul, it's doing something for so many souls. Not that that makes it feel fair or right. Not that that's much of a consolation, but I just think it's the truth. I think it's what ends up happening. I, I'm, and I, I think when we experience deep pain of any kind in life, if we can give it somewhat of a purpose, yes, it helps us grieve. It helps us overcome it. It helps us heal. Absolutely. So Ange, before you play your song about Bruno, can you give our listeners takeaways that this experience taught you or, you know, words of wisdom, advice for, you know, learning how to make this choice if they're faced with something similar? I think the biggest takeaway for me, the three biggest takeaways for me, number one was the induction termination versus the DNE. A DNE is a surgery where you go under. And I found that actually going into a hospital and giving birth to Luca was a magical experience that completed this birth for me and this life for me. And it was a respect and reverence I could show my child but in a proper ceremonial way to say goodbye. And in terms of my grieving process, and in terms of just my emotional well-being, it was night and day for me. It, I, I really, it was meaningful. It was purposeful, and I. It was so much better. It was the better way for me to go. The other thing about the testing, I think if I were to do it all over again, I think that I may just have faith and understand that I'm committed to having a baby and I am on board and come what may. And I may or may not do testing or at a certain point after, you know, a a CBS or um, something like that, just to you know, I would stop the testing and say, I'm committed to this and whatever comes, comes. Um, But there is a lot of uncertainty and to have support around you in whichever way that that feels good is really important, whether it's coming for your partner or a faith or meditation practice or something. There's just, there's gonna, if you get an abnormal reading or screening, get ready because there is gonna be maybe months if not for the rest of the pregnancy, just an amazing amount of uncertainty that you have. The uncertainty is just a thing that you have to deal with on top of all the information. And the third thing is, is just the decision. Understanding, I think I, you know, understanding that this is a decision that will be with me and shape me and be a part of me for the rest of my life. So whatever I decide to do, whether it's terminating or going through with the pregnancy, that I knew that I had to that it was the right decision for me and not anyone, you know, and, and for me and my partner and, and that I was, it was something that I could live with and be okay with. Right now I'm wondering if you'll tell me the truth. Every question I ask, you skirt the issue. 
And now I got to make a decision about life that is yet to live. So Bruno, wake up, I need to speak to you. My conscience is weighing heavy and it's overdue. Bruno, wake up and let me tell you why. I have to let you go to avoid a life of suffering. And I will always love you. You have got a piece of my heart. So go, 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 go to your reward. And I never knew I could love someone I never seen or heard. But I feel you move and you're a part of me that I'll have with me always as a memory and I never knew I could never have you in my arms to hold and cherish in my world your picture curls in a flame you're floating away I need to speak to you. My conscience is weighing heavy and it's overdue. Bruno, wake up and let me, let me tell you why. I have to let you go to avoid a life of suffering. But I Peace of my heart, so go, 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 go to your reward. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always... Hear everyone and listen to yourself. Even when you think that 
you've done all this work in therapy and you've done all this self-care and you feel great and, and you do feel great. And then all of a sudden you see a mother walking her baby or holding up something and you go, oh my God. And it's just like this crashing wave that it just grief to me is like waves. You're good. And then something triggers it. And it's just this emotional response that you can't even hold back. 